Well, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Haven't we had wonderful, glorious music today? And I will tell you, it is worth the, the five-hour drive I made yesterday uh, to come and to hear the biggest choir of the whole church sing, Oh, What a Savior. I want to tell you, there's nobody on the earth uh, sings like that uh, on a Sunday morning, but you folks, this is glory. It does remind me a lot of First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Dr. Monroe, and uh, my, what a marvelous, marvelous music program we have had. And you know, from time to time when I'm out uh, traveling and if I get in kind of late uh, on a Sunday uh, evening, I, I tune in on the, on the live streaming and I listen to your pastor. And I want to tell you, your pastor will preach more gospel truth, more Bible in five minutes than some people will hear in a year's time in some of our congregations. You have a Bible-preaching, teaching pastor, and I know you appreciate him too. I know you do. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he is in the will of God again this year. Uh, uh, the way you know he's in the will of God is if I show up in a year's time, he's in the will of God. Uh, if I don't come in a year, you'll know he is in a backslidden condition and needs to be prayed for. This is actually my seventh consecutive year of coming to Florence Baptist Temple. Uh, that's the, the, you know, the number of completeness, I think, is seven. I hope he doesn't feel like that's the end of it today, but uh, I've been here seven years in a row. And, uh, you know, one of the things I enjoy about returning to places where I have been is that I, I get to know people and I recognize people. And I have recognized a lot of uh, faces today that are very, very familiar to me. It's enjoyable. Uh, I don't do as well on names as I used to do. I used to pride myself in being able to remember names. And I, so if I don't know your name, you'll have to forgive me for that. I heard about the uh, widower uh, who was attending his 60th high school reunion. And uh, so while he was there, he, uh, he saw one of his classmates who was now a widow, and, and they sat at the same table together, and, and they exchanged smiles together, and, and they exchanged pleasantries together. And, and so toward the end of the evening, the widower just decided, uh, and he proposed marriage to her. And in about six seconds, she said, yes. And so the next morning when he woke up, he said, I, I just can't remember. When, when I proposed marriage, uh, did she say yes or no? And so he got on the phone and he called her. He said, you'll have to forgive me, but when I proposed marriage last night, did you say yes or did you say no? She said, oh, I said yes. And I'm glad you called because I've been wondering all night who proposed. <laughs> So, you know, your memory kind of goes away <laughs> as you get a little bit older, but uh, it's delightful to be here, and, and we're going to have a great, great day, and I'm praying that that lighthouse is going to come on now before the day is over, and we're claiming uh, that the Lord will give us souls uh, in this uh, service this morning and also again this night. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to uh, 2 Thessalonians, if you'll turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians. That's right after 1 Thessalonians. I thought I'd drop in a little deep theology on you there. And so when you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Uh, I'll ask you to stand as I read God's Word for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 10, 11, and 12 uh, in the interest of time, which really ties in what is said in the uh, substance of the uh, verses prior to that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You may be seated and may God bless the reading and now the preaching of his precious word. Uh, in July of 2009, I watched, as did many people, the funeral of Michael Jackson, who was known as the King of Pop. They say it was a funeral that cost in excess of a million dollars. They wrapped his body in a uh, $35,000 shroud, and they placed him in a $25,000 casket. As the casket was brought into the service and the family came behind it, uh, the late Andre Crouch began to lead his choir in one of his own compositions, soon and very soon we're going to see the king. And when they began to sing that, there was a smattering of applause in the building because some people mistakenly thought that the song was about Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to announce to you this morning that soon and very soon we are going to see the king, but it will not be Michael Jackson, the king of pop. It won't be Elvis Presley, the king of rock. But it will be the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The great hope of the world, the great hope of the believer and the promise of the believer is the truth that one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come again. Now, we look around in our world and people are very concerned, as am I and I'm sure as are you. And some people ask me, they say, well, preacher, what does the future hold? And I share with them what I believe are the three R's of the future. Uh, I think, first of all, we are facing the possibility of ruin. It could be that we are headed for ruin. I look at the culture around, and what I see is uh, anarchy and uh, atrocity. I look on the inside of the church, and there, too many times, I see apathy and I see apostasy. Apathy, that is indifference. Two men were talking one day, and one of them said to the other, he said, did you know they say one of the biggest problems in the church today is apathy and ignorance, and uh, uh, ignorance and apathy? And the man said, well, I didn't know, and I don't care. There's a great deal of apathy, but also apostasy. When I was with you last year, I preached from the book of Jude, which lays out before us in stark, uh, uh, stunning detail uh, what the apostasy will be like as it invades our churches. So on the outside, we see uh, in the culture, we see uh, anarchy and atrocity. On the inside of many churches, we see apathy and we see apostasy. So it could be that we are headed for ruin. But the second R is revival. It is altogether possible that we could experience revival. I'm sure you, as many of us, are praying that God will send great national revival to America. 
I don't think I have ever witnessed a time when America was in greater need of revival as we are in need of revival today. But whether there is revival in the nation or not, we must also pray that God give revival in his church. All of us in our churches stand in need of revival, a stirring and a moving of the Spirit of God again. And so we can pray that God will send revival in our churches. Then whether there be revival nationally, whether there be revival in our churches, we can also pray and experience a personal revival. You and I can have revival. You and I can be renewed in our commitment to the Lord, can be stirred in our hearts to deeper love for Christ and commitment to his word. So there may be ruin in our future. There may be revival in our future. But the third word is the word return. It may be that we are facing the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, soon and very soon. You remember what Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 and 3? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he said this, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is what Paul calls in Titus chapter 2, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus went back to heaven, he was on the Mount of Olives, and the uh, disciples were gathered there, and, and as Jesus began to ascend before their very eyes, two men in white apparel said to them, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken from you up into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so we are awaiting the return of our Savior. Uh, Billy Graham in the early years of his ministry was uh, speaking at the University of Hawaii and he was speaking on the return of Jesus. And in the question and answer time after his message, one of the students said, You're talking about this rapture of believers and the catching away of of the saints of God. He said, "Uh, isn't that a form of, of escapism? And Mr. Graham wisely said, he said, yes, I suppose it is. But he said, before Satan is finished with this old world, we'll all be looking for the exit signs. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we are living in that day. The Apostle Paul wrote nine, the first nine of the letters of the New Testament to seven churches. The last two letters he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. It is a remarkable church. You read about it in Acts chapter 17. And in those two little books, First and Second Thessalonians, Paul lays out very clearly the truth of the return of our Lord. Uh, Brother Monroe, one of the things I have noticed through the years is when churches are well taught about the return of Jesus and when churches are taught about the premillennial return of Christ and the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, that church never goes into liberalism. There is something stabilizing. There is something that, that rivets the truth of God into the hearts of people when they are taught about the return of Jesus. 
1 Thessalonians, he raises the question or answers the question, what about dead believers who have already died before Jesus comes? And he answers that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then in 2 Thessalonians, uh, he answers this question. Are we in the day of the Lord? There were teachers, as you will read in the opening verses of this chapter, who had come and were teaching those young believers that they were already in the day of the Lord. And there was great consternation and there was great uh, uh, concern that, that maybe they had missed the return of the Lord. So Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 points out the fact that the church age will end in apostasy. He talks about that. And then the great tribulation of the day of the Lord will begin with the emergence of the Antichrist. And as you read down through these verses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will discover that Paul gives us a full-length portrait of the Antichrist. Christ. You say, well, preacher, do you know who the Antichrist is? No, I do not know. Preacher, do you believe he is alive today? It is altogether possible that the Antichrist is alive today, but I have good news for you as believers. If you are a born-again believer, if you have received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you're going to be caught up before the great tribulation begins and for before the Antichrist appears. You remember over in Revelation 3, verse 10, where it says in Revelation 3, verse 10, it says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, talking to believers, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation that shall come upon the whole world, now watch this, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, there are six words there, them that dwell upon the earth, them that dwell upon the earth. Did you know it takes six English words in the King James Bible to translate just one word in the Greek text there? And the word that is used is the Greek word katoikeo, which literally means to live down, to dwell down. And what we are told here, what we learn from that little phrase that occurs 11 times in the book of the Revelation is that there will be a group of individuals who have decided that this world is the only world there is. It is the only world that there will ever be. And they have decided to put their roots down in this world and they become known as the earth dwellers. Now, that's phrase is never used of believers. Saved people are never referred to as them that dwell on the earth. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says specifically, for our conversation, literally our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I was a boy uh, on Sunday morning, as we were getting ready for church, my dad would turn on the radio, and uh, there would come on the radio a broadcast from California, and, and the name uh, of the program was the Old Time Revival Hour, and uh, there was a speaker there named uh, Dr. Charles E. 
fuller. Now, if you remember this, you're dating yourself. I know about how old you are, uh, if you remember what I'm telling. But, but there was a program, the old time. You don't remember it, do you, Jim? No, I didn't think you were... You weren't even alive by then, probably. But uh, uh, then uh, the old-time revival hour, Dr. Charles E. Fuller. And every Sunday morning when that program came on, the old-time revival hour quartet began to sing. And they sang this every Sunday morning. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I don't feel at home in this world anymore. You're not the only one who can sing, Jim. I just, you know. Now take that, take the cost of the concert right out of the music ministry, if you will. Now, now you see, they sang a song that is very, very true. We don't belong to this world. This world is not our home. First, Timothy, uh, First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 Peter says that we are strangers and pilgrims. Strangers are people who are passing through a world where they don't belong. And pilgrims are people who are going to a world where they do belong. And so, you dear ones, we are not earth dwellers. But there is a group of people in the tribulation period who are known as the earth dwellers. And I want to show you now what God says in His Word about these who are the earth dwellers. I think we have them described in verses 10, 11, and 12. And so here's the, the very simple outline I want to give you this morning. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about their decision. Here is a group of people, and they have made a decision. Look at the end of verse 12. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, here is a group of people, and they have made a decision. They have decided for sin. They have decided they will take pleasure in unrighteousness. I was talking to some of the kids over here, and they're all so anxious and excited, just thrilled to death that school's going to be starting next week. Is that... That's not quite the way it was, but I have a feeling there's some mamas and some daddies who are shouting the victory because school starts next week. But, but uh, you know, here is a group of people, and, and I, I would say to these young people over here, every day of your life, you have a decision to make. Every day, you must decide for sin or you must decide for the Lord. You must decide, will I take pleasure in sin or will I take pleasure in the Lord? And you see, that's a decision that people make all the time. And here is a group of people who have made a decision. They have decided for sin. They take pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, you know, when I started preaching, I used to talk about sin and talk about that people didn't enjoy sin. I have come to believe that I was uh, incorrect about that because the fact of the matter is the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin. There is pleasure in sin. There is excitement in sin. But you see, the Bible says this over in the book of Hebrews 11, verse 25. The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. You knew your Bible, didn't you? The pleasures of sin for a season. You, you, you see, all sin is addictive. 
All sin continued on is addictive in its nature. That's why one of the biggest lies of the devil is the lie of moderation. Moderation is the first step toward addiction. The first time someone sins, they say, well, I will just do this in moderation. But moderation leads ultimately to addiction. The pleasures of sin for a season. And then the addiction comes. And then the guilt comes. And then the anguish comes. And then the misery comes. And then the sorrow comes. But here is a group of people. They have decided for sin. They take pleasure in sin. Now watch. When sin becomes your lifestyle, when sin becomes your habit of life, there is something very, very deceptive about it. Look at what it says in verse 10, the first part of the verse. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, I heard an old country preacher a number of years ago put it like this. He said, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will teach you more than you want to know. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. The deceitfulness of sin. But then the Bible talks about being hardened. Hebrews 3.13. Being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There, there's something hardening about it. I, 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 I can remember uh, the first time I did some things that I should not do. Uh, do you remember the first time that you said a, a bad word that, that you shouldn't say, and you remember how uncomfortable it made you feel? But you see, the more you sin, the harder you become. And there are now people doing things in open that, that they used to be concerned about because they did them in private. They are hardened. Sin has a hardening effect. Now watch. Here is a group of people. They are earth dwellers. They have made the decision. They will decide for sin. Sin has now become addictive. They are now hardened by the deceivableness of sin. And then these people hear the gospel. Well, when did they hear the gospel preacher? Before the Lord Jesus came. When was the gospel preached to them? Before the rapture of the church. Some of you sitting in this building this morning, and, and you have heard the gospel. You have heard it many times with, from your pastor. You have heard many times witnesses tell you about the Lord. Some Christian Sunday school teacher, some Christian uh, school teacher. Uh, you have had visiting preachers like me come, and you have heard the truth of the gospel. The decision now, they have heard the truth of the gospel, but now watch. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, here are the earth dwellers. They hear the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and believers are caught away. What is their condition? What is their circumstance? They receive not the love of the truth. You say, well, preacher, what, what is the truth? What is the truth that saves? Are you ready? It's very simple. Here's the truth about what it means to be saved. Number one, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all know we have sinned. 
The truth of the gospel is Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've all sinned. We all deserve the eternal penalty of sin. Here's the truth of the gospel, Romans 5, 8, God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I think that's one of the reasons I like that old what a savior so much. It sets before us the truth that while we were yet sinners, Jesus loved us enough to take our sins in his own body on the cross and to die on that cross for our sins. That's the truth of the gospel. And then here's the, the fourth truth of the gospel, Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, what does it say? Thou shalt be saved. That's the truth of the gospel. But here's a group of people, they have heard the truth of the gospel. They heard the truth of the gospel, but they received not the truth that they might be saved. The devil said, oh, don't do that today. You've got plenty of time. Don't believe all that talk about Jesus coming again. You, you've just got a long time now. You, you can accept Jesus any time you want. Don't, don't be fooled by, by all of that stuff. And so they reject the love of the truth, their decision. But now then, the second word I want you to put in your mind and in your heart is this word delusion. They make a decision. They'd rather have sin. They hear the truth of the gospel and they reject it. You see, every time you reject the gospel, every time you reject God's truth, you open yourself wide open for the devil's lie, the devil's error. Now watch verse 11. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the King James has a lie. In the Greek text there, there is a definite article. Literally, what it's saying here is that they should believe the lie. Now, what is the lie, all right? Uh, pastor, do you, when, when you're preaching, do you ever lapse over into the King Bill version and speculate just a little bit, you know, kind of, uh-huh? Well, every now and then I lapse over into the King Jerry version. I get out of the King James into the Jerry version. This is not what Scripture specifically says, but I think it is logical if you follow the flow of thought in, in Scripture. I think this is logical. You see, here, here's what happens. The Lord Jesus Christ comes and believers are caught away. And them that dwell on the earth are still on the earth. And so multitudes, millions of people are, are caught away. And, and there is great consternation. And, and there is great disturbance all over the world. And, and then a one world ruler comes. And uh, uh, he, the, the Antichrist. And, and I can hear that one world ruler now as, as he speaks to the entire world on, on international satellite. The Antichrist begins to speak, and he says to the people, he says, I'm aware of the fact that, that millions of people have left this earth. I know that some of you, your mate has, has left the earth. They've suddenly disappeared. Some of you, your children have disappeared. Some of you, your parents have disappeared. Your friends have, have disappeared, and, and there is great quandary of what's going on in the world. You may have noticed, says the Antichrist, that all of those who have disappeared were those hated despised, bigoted, narrow-minded Christians. 
We have taken all of them out of the population of the earth. We have moved them to a higher level of illumination. And they are in the process of being deprogrammed. And all of that Bible stuff, and all of that Jesus stuff, All of that is being erased from their memory. And when we get all of that out, we will bring them back to the earth and they will become peace-loving, productive, and peaceful citizens. You say, preacher, nobody would believe anything as outrageous as that. Uh, Have you ever read any of the books of Dan Brown? If you haven't, don't read it. But that's what he's all about. He's into the New Age movement, the higher enlightenment. I I never saw any of the movies, but uh, you remember the movie Star Wars and Beam Me Up, Scotty? You remember that? That was all about a new age, a a higher level. Uh, Oh, preacher, nobody, nobody would believe that kind of stuff, oh, wouldn't they? 1999 out in California, there was a man named Marshall Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite and his wife uh, formed a, a cult, a New Age cult. They called it Heaven's Gates. And they, they gathered a group of people around them, and they, they said to them, now, the Hale-Bopp Comet is getting ready to make its appearance And when the Hale-Bopp comet makes its appearance, there will be a ship, a spaceship behind the comet, and we have devised a method to get us up there into that comet, uh, into that spaceship, and it will carry us to a higher level of enlightenment. You say, now, preacher, nobody believed that. Would you believe that 37 people followed he and his wife in suicide? You see, dear one, when you reject God's sweet truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, you open yourself up for the lies of the devil. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now watch what happens here. Are you with me? And Satan shall send them strong delusion. Did, did, I, did I misquote that? Let's see. And, and the devil shall send them strong. You're, you're looking at me like I've missed it here. What does it say? And God shall send them strong delusion. Literally, the Greek text says, and God shall send them a powerful working of error that they should believe the lie. You say, preacher, are you telling me that it is God who will send the strong delusion? Yes. That's what the book says. God will send strong delusion. Do you remember over in the Old Testament about Pharaoh? And the Bible said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you remember that? Well, what's that all about? God would harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. But if you'll read all through the the, the sections there, you will make this remarkable discovery. You will discover that on some occasions it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but on other occasions it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. You you, you see, when, when people 
continue to reject God's truth. And they continue to believe the lies of the devil. At some point in time, God may say, I'll give you what you have demanded. You see, the Bible says this. The Bible says this, that that God has given to every man the measure of faith. You have the gift of faith. Every person born, you have the ability to believe. Listen, you, 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 you couldn't even function every day if you didn't have faith. For instance, you guys will get up in the morning and you'll go in for your breakfast before you go out to work and your wife sets that breakfast before. How do you know she hadn't put cyanide in that breakfast? Well, you just said, I just don't believe she'd do that. I, I, I believe she'd, t-. okay, you have exercised faith. And then you get out there in your garage and you turn the key or push the button or whatever you do nowadays. And well, how do you know that thing's not going to blow up? You say, well, I just believe that the people who put it together, that it'll crank. And then you go to your office complex and then you go to an elevator and you get on that elevator. How do you know that that elevator is going to go up to the right floor instead of crashing to the Basement below. Well, you have faith that that the uh, you know that the elevator is going to work. Some of you people, you'll get on a plane tomorrow and you'll travel to different places and you walk on that plane and and how, how do you know that pilot is not going to run it into the ground? You have faith in the pilot. All of us are given Romans twelve three a measure of faith. But here's the point. In John twelve thirty seven. The Bible says, though he had, Jesus, had done many miracles, they believed not. John 12, 37. And then down in verse 39, it says, they could not believe. You see, folks, when you will not believe, the day may come when you cannot believe. And so what what it's basically saying is, is this. God will ultimately affirm your decision. Whatever you decide, God will let you have it. If you insist on going to hell, God will let you go there. He'll put all kinds of hurdles, barriers to keep you from going there. Oh, dear friend, don't don't go to hell. God has erected barriers to keep you from going. God has erected this church here. This church is a barrier If you go to hell, you'll go over the gospel testimony of this church. Some of you will go over the barrier of the prayers of a godly mother. She has prayed earnestly for your salvation day after day and week after week and year after year. Don't leap over the prayers of a godly mother. Some of you will go over the prayers and the witness of a faithful friend on the job or at at school. But if you insist... On going to hell, God will let you go there. What a tragedy. Look at it in verse 12. I'm getting close to the conclusion now. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. That's the third word, damnation. Decision, you decide you'd rather have sin than Jesus. Delusion, you keep on rejecting the truth and And then God sends strong delusion. And then number three, damnation. 
What an awful thought to go out into an eternity without God, abandoned by God. Did you know three times in Romans chapter 1 it says God gave them up? Romans 1, 24, God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26, God gave them up unto vile affections. Verse 28, God gave them up to a reprobate mind. God gives them up. Oh, dear one, don't miss the opportunity to give your life to Christ today. There is a time I know not when a place I know not where that seals the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There is a line by us not seen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's mercy and His wrath. When I was with you in 2010, I told you a story I want to repeat this morning because I think it hammers down, nails down what I'm trying to to say to you this morning. If you're in this building and you have never received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you are not here by accident. You are here by the divine providence of God that you might hear the truth one more time and that you might receive it. As the story goes, there was a young man out in the country in a Christian family and he acquired a job in the nearby village. The family was a Christian family, and so the mother said to him, son, you're, you're going to work on Monday, and, and I want you to promise, we've brought you up as a Christian young man, I want you to promise your first Sunday in the village you'll go to church. And he promised her he would. So he went into the, uh, the job on Monday and began to work through the week, and he acquired some new friends like you do and, and all of that. And and then on Friday, uh, one of his new friends said, hey, we're, we're going horseback riding Sunday. How, how about you going with us? He said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So Sunday came, and they all saddled up, and they began to ride toward the middle of the village. And as they rode toward the middle of the village, the, the, the church bells began to ring loudly. And they got closer and closer to the church bells, a church, and the bells got louder and louder and louder, and they rode on by. And they rode and they rode, and they got to the edge of town, and the boy stopped. He said, fellas, y'all go on. I'm turning back. And they said, oh, we've just started. Don't, don't leave now. We're just beginning the ride. He said, fellas, he said, I came from a Christian family, and I promised my godly mother that on the first Sunday here, I'd go to church. And he said, fellas, as we've been riding along, I have noticed that the bells have been getting fainter and fainter and fainter. And he said, I'm going back while I can still hear the bells. Someone in this room this morning and when you were just a child in vacation Bible school, your faithful pastor shared the gospel, told you how you could be saved, and the bells rang loudly in your little heart, and you rode on. And then when you were a teenager, you went to a youth camp, and faithful counselors and faithful preachers 
gave you the truth of the gospel and, and your heart was stirred and you felt the, the call of, of God. The bells were ringing loudly in your heart, but you rode on. And then you got married and began to have a family and you came to church occasionally and Pastor Monroe preached the gospel and, and you heard the the bells, but they were ringing a little bit fainter and a little bit fainter and a little bit fainter. Listen to me. Dear one, man, woman, boy, girl, young person, whoever you are, come to Jesus this morning while you can still hear the bells. Our heads are bowed. Every head bowed. And every eye closed. Thank you so much for your attention this morning.